You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. It's Wednesday, November 18, 2020. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ed Harrison, joined shortly by Tom Thornton, who's the founder of the hedge fund Telemetry. But first, with the news of the day, Jack Farland. Thanks, Ed. The good vaccine news just keeps rolling in with Pfizer today announcing its plans on applying for emergency approval from the FDA, quote, within a matter of days. This as Pfizer released new results indicating that their vaccine was even better than they previously thought, 95% effective rather than 90.5% effective. Pfizer's vaccine also appears to have fewer side effects than Moderna's treatment, although so far Moderna's vaccine appears to be better at managing severe cases. Despite this great vaccine news today, equities barely budged with all three U.S. indices flat as I'm recording this at just after 2 p.m. Eastern. But the rotation into value is continuing with money pouring into the reopening stocks, particularly those in the oil and gas sector. Since the news of the Pfizer vaccine last Monday, WTI crude is up over 12%, with energy stocks rallying even further. And this makes sense. An effective vaccine means a faster reopening, which means the sooner that oil demand will pick up. But that's just the spot price of WTI. If you actually look at the futures curve, it's flattened dramatically since Friday the 6th, with the 2030 futures being priced lower than they were since the news of the vaccine. This downward shift in WTI futures suggests that traders are bearish on oil's long-term consumption pattern after 2025. In other news, the MTA, New York City's Agency for Transit, warned it may have to cut over 8,000 workers from its payroll if the federal government doesn't provide $12 billion of support to fill in the gap left by plummeting ridership during the pandemic. It's a very sad announcement, and it touches on two themes. Number one, the strain that corona puts on municipal debt. And number two, uh, the fact that municipals need fiscal stimulus from the government in order to paper over the cracks. And then there's deflation as well. Lastly, check out Jim Grant's interview with William White today. William White is a renowned central banker at the Bank of Canada and the BIS. He's an outspoken iconoclast among his peers, a critic of Alan Greenspan's monetary policy. He called 2008. He's got some very strong views. You know, yesterday, Ralph spoke to Hugh Hendry and Hugh kind of wants to sink the U.S. yield curve to 20,000 leagues beneath the sea. Well, William White's got some very different views. So if you want a different slice, definitely check out that interview. Again, it's part of our interview series, Paradigm Shift. And stay tuned for the interviews that are to come with Jeremy Grantham, Kyle Bass, Chamath Palapatia, and so many more. With that, let's go back to Ed. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Tom Thornton. And before we get into it, let me just say uh, happy anniversary to you because we were just talking about this off camera. Oh, thank you. Uh, 25 years. Uh, my wife is. Uh... Now uh, a saint uh, after uh, this 25 years. 
Yeah, that is a special day. Uh, I, I, um, I'm only on 15 myself, so I have another 10 to go to get up to you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's well worth it. So, uh, Tom, it's a special day for you, but uh, for us, we wanted to hear, pick your brain on the markets. That's why you're here. Um, I was just looking at, uh, we had a, a DM today, and you were telling me what your thoughts were. Uh, I think the first thing is, you know, right before we just spoke to Jack, uh, he was talking about the markets being relatively flat today, but he taped it at two o'clock. And now you and I were talking at four after the markets just closed and the markets were down on the back yeah, they, of some gloomy news. Yeah, uh, it's it's something that uh, the market just woke up and figured out uh, that the COVID cases are rising. Um, de Blasio announced that uh, they're closing the New York schools. And that really shook the market. And uh, as the way it dropped, uh, I like to say it dropped like wet, wet socks on a chicken. Yeah, I mean, uh, what do you make of this uh, in terms of market action? Because first we had the Moderna uh, news. Uh, well, let's just say we had the Pfizer news. Then we had the Moderna news. And then we had the Pfizer news again going from 90% effectiveness to 95% effectiveness. But at the same time, we're dealing with all of this uh, COVID-19 uh, death and hospitalization, where's the market going to look for direction? Well, usually the market will look forward uh, for something that's coming in the near term. Uh, but however, this is a pandemic. We've never gone through this before. And now we have this great news with Pfizer, Moderna. Um, I think the, uh, the British study is going to come out soon. So you have all these therapies and drugs that are sounding great. Unfortunately, it's going to be a long valley to get there. Uh, so we have to go through it. Case counts are going to go up. I hope we don't go into lockdown. I think the human toll is terrible uh, from every angle, especially, um, you know, we're going to have layoffs. We're going to have economic uh, disaster with companies closing. And, you know, the government's going to have to come in and do something uh, to try and you know, shore things up. So a fiscal stimulus package is most likely going to be uh, on the horizon and will hopefully bridge that gap. But still, it's going to be it's going to be tough. And I think the market just woke up and realized uh, what we're what we're facing. You know, I still can't make heads or tails of wh uh, where the market is looking. Are they looking towards six months from now? when all of this is in the rearview mirror, hopefully, or in, uh, uh, you know, in the immediate present, the growth versus value uh, uh, dynamic, I think, is, has a lot to do with that. Because you know, people are looking at growth and stay at home as a proxy for uh, this is going to get worse and value for, OK, we're, gonna, we're looking through the news, the bad news today. What's happening on the growth versus value front from your perspective? Well, the value trade is starting to work, and specifically with financials and energy, it's starting to work real well. Uh, I did, however, trim some of my financials yesterday. I still am long a few. I like Citi. I'm long KBE, the ETF. Uh, PNC looks great. So I like those that sector a lot. I am also long energy, a lot of energy right now and it's working really really well so far i will hold on to the energy stocks uh through some of the turbulence i see with this covid news 
I, I think they're very, very oversold. And I think 2001 or 2021 will be a very good year for the energy um, sector. Uh, as far as the growth sector, the top five mega cap stocks have been 50% of all the attribution in the market uh, over the last several years. So I do see those as being still very, very extended. And I would not be shocked to see some of those stocks, uh, even though they're, they're performing well um, from an operational standpoint, uh, those stocks pause and maybe pause for quite a while, maybe several quarters, maybe even a year. Some, maybe even Netflix, maybe uh, have topped out uh, for quite a while. So I'm really cautious on the growth area. I do see that there's going to be a lot of chop with the work from home stocks, the Pelotons, Zooms, uh, Wayfair. Those are going to chop around and you have a lot of shorts that are trying to get cute and short them and they'll just get squeezed higher and chopped around. So I, I, I think it's a, a tough a tough trade to try and time the work from home uh, short right now, especially with COVID lockdowns. Yeah, uh, a few things that uh, come to mind. The first, I'll, I'll just make an offhand comment about Zoom. I saw someone was saying that as soon as the New York City schools shut down, Zoom uh, uh, went higher, Zoomed higher, if you will. Uh, yeah. I thought that was interesting. The the other thing, when you were talking about the financials, the first thing that came to mind was NPLs. I was thinking, because when you talked about City in particular, you know, where the NPLs are going to come doesn't seem like it's going to be the large cap banks. I mean, where are you, what are you thinking in terms of uh, financials? Where, where, where do you want to hide in terms of who's not going to be impacted by these next few months? Well, I think everybody's going to be impacted, but the provisions that their loss provisions that they put out in the first, uh, second quarter and third quarter were massive. And I think the Fed uh, asked the banks and some of the credit card companies to price in into their risk models of 13% unemployment. And here we are, I think it's under 8%. And I think it might go higher, most likely, in the next couple months. But still, I think that you have uh, a big tailwind as the country and the world reopens after the vaccines get fully out there into the population. Yeah. And uh, if, if, what about the same for your energy companies? Where are you thinking, where's the place to be there? Well, I, I like the drillers a lot, and they've had a really good run off the lows. And I was looking at the OIH today, and they did a reverse split on the OIH uh, earlier this year. And it's trading around 130. And the all-time high on OIH is around 1,200 going back to 2014. So I would not be shocked to see this group move up another 100% in 2000, uh, 2021. And I know that sounds crazy, but it certainly wouldn't even bring it back to where it was uh, two years ago. Right. Yeah. I mean, that that is an amazing number, you know, how, how far down they've fallen in that time frame. It, you know, your time frame, you talk about 2021. What kind of time frame are you trading around right now? What, what's your thinking in terms of the horizon? 
Well, I have two time horizons. I look at uh, a daily uh, and a weekly short-term intermediate. So I may trade on a daily time frame uh, up to two weeks. And on an intermediate time frame, it can be uh, from, let's say, four weeks to uh, 12 weeks on an intermediate time frame. So I'm looking at the financials and energy uh, longer term. I'll trade around them and trim some and add them back uh, on dips. But, uh, you know, certainly right now, I think that if we start to uh, shake out a little bit more, I don't think people are really set up for that. And, you know, keep in mind, the election went a lot better than a lot of people uh, expected. They thought there was going to be contested elections. Uh, we really haven't had a contested election, even though that, you know, there's a president that's still fighting it. Uh, so that's a, a real positive. Uh, the volatility has dropped uh, back to 20. It's still, you know, relatively high for the VIX, but I think that could start to lift as well. So I, I'm, I'm cautious right now going into the end of the year. And also, you know, more than half of the stocks in the market are down for the year. So there's still going to be some retail tax loss selling, some funds that are going to be selling uh, into the end of the year as well. And, you know, remember, too, I, I've, I was looking at retail stocks today and, and the moves we've had on some of them, like Kohl's, Nordstrom's, Macy's even, uh, Target had a great numbers. Uh, I think those are going to come in a little bit if we start to lock down again. And I think people are, are not spending that much money. Yeah, uh, that, that's an interesting point. Um, and, you know, when you say that, I think to other markets for confirming evidence, uh, you we were uh, exchanging notes and you mentioned something about bonds beginning to bounce. You were talking about gold uh, and Bitcoin, as well as in the commodity space, coffee. Can you go through some of those and how you're looking at those particular markets? Okay. So I was short. I was short bonds. And we recently had in a backup in rates and we stopped on the 10 year just below 1%. And we, we did have uh, what I look at are DeMarc indicators and we did have some upside exhaustion signals on the yield. So it looked like we were going to back off a little and we did. We have, I'm long a little bit uh, right now on the 10 year and uh, the 30 year. So I think that uh, we could see, and usually the bond market to me is a better indicator of market risk. And with yields starting to, to fall again and bonds starting to rally, I think it was telling the market, the bond market was telling us, look, the COVID thing's gonna be here uh, for a while, it's gonna get worse. And so we already saw it in the bond market ahead of it. Um, next, let's talk about gold. Gold is like every asset uh, when markets get weak, uh, gold will sell. Uh, people will sell anything liquid that's not nailed down. And I think gold's been um, sold partly because uh, there's no stimulus right now. That's been DOA with uh, the fiscal uh, negotiations dying uh, back in October. Uh, Bitcoin. Well, I'm not a Bitcoin bull or bear. I have mm -hmm. actually never traded personally Bitcoin. I kind of wish I did because uh, the signals that I've had over the years have been really good using the DeMarc indicators. And Interesting. back in, yeah, I mean, back in, was it 2017 when we peaked? Was that the last big peak or 18? Yeah, I think it was 18. Okay, yeah. 
Well, don't, don't you know if you were talking to Ash, he'd be able to tell you. Oh, I know he could tell me the date. Uh, but I remember uh, on my uh, note that day, I put Bitcoin on. And I said, "Look, I don't trade this. I have nothing here to prove." But we did get an upside exhaustion signal in the next day. That was the top, and we're starting to see uh, several on the daily that are not working. And usually, when I don't see the daily working, uh, and that's sometimes when the DeMarc indicators don't work on a shorter term basis, that means the trend is just absolutely furiously strong. And we've been mm -hmm. seeing that for the last couple of weeks uh, on the daily uh, indicators on, on Bitcoin. Now on the weekly, we're on week 12 of 13. And 13 is the magic number of when there is an exhaustion signal. And so I think that we're coming close to a level right now that it's it's very extended on the RSIs, on the daily and the weekly. And so a, a back off in Bitcoin if overall markets get weak, because, again, people will sell anything that's not nailed down in turbulence. Uh, you could see Bitcoin pull back to perhaps 12,000, 14,000 between there. And that might be a great buying opportunity. And I, I, I will say um, I'm more enthusiastic about Bitcoin uh, when I see people like Michael Saylor, who I've really been a big fan of his from MicroStrategy before Bitcoin. I've seen a lot of his conversations. Uh, he's really a really a very brilliant guy. Uh, then you see um, uh, Jack Dorsey uh, in Square getting involved in Bitcoin, and you see some other uh, notable people, Paul Tudor Jones, uh, Stan Druckenmiller mentioned it. So you're starting right, to see yeah. uh, an adoption with a wider audience. Although, uh, again, I don't have anything to you know prove in this. I do think it's, it's extended just from a technical point of view. And from a sentiment point of view, uh, whenever I see you know new programs get launched, I'm just kidding. Um, it's <laughs> just kidding, Raul. I'm sorry. Uh, no, it's going to be great, and I'm really very very happy for all the people that have crushed it with Bitcoin. And there are a lot of you, and congratulations. Uh, love seeing people make money. Oh, one thing I will say, and it's a real vision thing. I went to a real vision uh, the blacklist. blacklist. I went to yes. a blacklist event. And I met a guy there, super unassuming, nice as can be, not a finance guy. He actually was in the military. And he put, I think it was like $25,000 in Bitcoin. And he got blown up. I think it was the Mt. Gox scandal. He lost his money. And then he ended up, like he, he had $25,000. And he took the last 30000 he had and did it again and he sold it in that that peak in 2018 at the very peak and he was selling it like from november to december right into that and he told me something that was really incredible he said the stress of watching it go up so furiously and seeing his number he could see what he was worth just go up you know millions and at a clip he said it was so stressful and he just felt like he had to get out and and he he said, I haven't invested in anything else since. And I just found it in incredible because I bet there's a lot of people right now that are feeling that stress because it's going up. It's furiously going up. And you're like, oh, my God, I don't want to lose this. I don't want to lose this. But you know something? I've always said this. Take some off on the way up 
when you have a profitable trade. You don't have to hit the exact high. Uh, same thing if you're buying something when it's you know coming down. Take some off. Lower your lower your level of risk to so you can sleep at night and you're still going to participate. And if it goes to a hundred thousand, you're going to be you know fabulously wealthy. But keep your risk uh, in check. Yeah, I think that's that's great advice because uh, I've heard the same advice in terms of the psychology. In order to you know, it's really all a, a psychological game. Making sure that you feel as if uh, you're not risking your initial capital after you have had this 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 win. Uh, it's incredible that, you know, it's the loss aversion that we all have uh, starts to kick in when you're doing incredibly well in the market. Yeah, exactly. And and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, um, I'm remembering back in 2008 and nine at the fund I was at, and we were short uh, tons of financials. I think we were short well over a billion dollars in financials. And we were watching all of these stocks just get obliterated and we were making a really a, a great return but it was really stressful and it was really stressful being right and being in these and thinking oh my god they could turn around immediately or something can happen and we lose these gains so uh, i learned then uh with uh the team that i worked with uh we diversified and took stuff out or i wouldn't say we diversified but we we were diversified, but we basically were trimming uh, on the way down. And I, I will say that um, I remember our financials team, they said, OK, cover all the Bank of America. And we had millions of shares of Bank of America short and cover city and all these. And they went long and they went long in February, about two weeks before the true bottom. And I was very nervous at that point, but I knew that things were getting washed out. I was nervous that the companies were going to go out, go you know, out of business. But uh, they did a great job and and knew how to turn that corner. And I think that was important, especially since we were taking profits um, on the way down and and lowered our risk uh, for that. So it, it was uh, that was good risk management. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. That, that's, a, that's a great story, I have to say. Uh, that, that's amazing. You know, uh, when we're talking about all of these uh, parabolic uh, moves, the I'm thinking about Tesla, by the way, because you were talking about a uh, gamma squeeze that's going on in Tesla right. today. W what's happening there? Okay, so Tesla. I'm I'm not necessarily a big fan of Tesla. I've been uh, short the stock. I'm short at 450 currently. It's a one percent position. It's not a you know game changer if it if it goes up. But you know, I didn't think they were going to get into the S and P. Uh, until they really showed some sort of true earnings uh, quality. I mean, they're, they're, they're making their earnings from emissions credits, and that, that's all fine and legal, but it's really poor quality. Uh, if you took those but, out... Well, let me have, just say, before you continue on yeah. with that, I mean, they're the, the largest stock to enter the S&P in history. Yeah. So, I mean, if they didn't enter now, and, you know, people were talking about they're entering in September. And I thought at the time that it was either September or December that they had to do it just because of the sheer size of the thing. Yeah, I, 
see, I'll disagree because I think that just because it's a it's a large size, it shouldn't really deviate from the fundamentals and the earnings quality. You know, you have to have is it four quarters of positive earnings? And yes, they've they've had four quarters of positive earnings, but if you backed out the emissions credits, which is a hundred percent margin, by the way, uh, that they get from Fiat, Chrysler, um, and if you back those out, they wouldn't have made money four quarters in a row. And you're starting to see declines in their in their growth rates uh, on their the, how many cars they're selling. They can't, you know, sell all the cars that they're producing in China. They have a fifteen thousand uh, capacity at their new factory, but they're selling about eleven thousand units uh, per month. So I, I I think that there's some questions there now. As far as with the mechanics of the S and P, uh, okay, fine. The S and P is putting them in. Uh, a lot of people are looking at it in a similar vein as Yahoo back in November of 1999 when they were added. And I think it was about $120 billion market cap at that time. The stock went up 20% into the addition. And then that basically was the peak, right. all-time peak in Yahoo. And so I, I, I think that could happen. The one thing also I think might happen is that uh, – Tesla could offer stock into the inclusion. And mm. so if they did that, they could, I don't know how many billions it's, it's calculated, they might do it in two tranches. But if they did, if they did 10, they raised $10 billion in the offering where they're offering stock and it gets in the print at the very end of the day on the rebalance, uh, then, you know, that would sell, salvage or salvage their, you know, problems with insolvency with cash levels, you know, percentage of capital market cap uh, being so low. Uh, so I think that that would, you know, basically change the narrative to more of, of what is happening, which I think is a demand issue. Uh, coming very soon in Q1 are the VW ID4s, which look great. They're very common, basic cars, uh, but they're electric. And the European market I think it's grown year over year, almost a hundred percent. And with that, uh, Tesla before that big surge, Tesla used to be around thirty percent of the, uh, the 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 market in Europe, and they've lost market share. Now they're just around fifteen percent, maybe even lower. So with all the new EVs coming out, uh, Tesla is selling fewer as a percentage, and maybe it's due to them not having a factory. Maybe it's due to the, the taxes that, the, that are happening there. But see, I think that they're coming up against some really formidable competition. And the German manufacturing uh, with Volkswagen building a great platform, which is going to be like a skateboard uh, with all their operating you know, mechanicals. And then Audis, VWs, they probably have Porsches right. on there yeah. as well, will go on there. And it, it really will be a game changer as far as how manufacturing uh, goes and it, it'll save money uh, so those companies don't have to build their own platform so I think it's going to be a really uh, a big game changer BMW um, has a, a few new models coming out Mercedes already has some out uh, they're not penetrating the US they're not sending them to the US yet because they're really focused on the European market because it's doing a lot better and uh, I, I also think that, um, you know, Tesla's trying to, you know, open up all these factories. And now if I was a short, which I am, uh, I will say, please open 
more factories spend more money on factories because the demand is not necessarily there. And if you build it, it doesn't mean that they're, they're going to come and buy more cars. Uh, the problem for Tesla also is that they keep lowering prices. If demand is stable, you don't lower prices. It just doesn't make economic sense. So I think they have a, an underlying demand problem and the stock will continue to do its thing uh, until it becomes very evident that you, that demand is is just not there. We, you know, uh, as you say that, it reminds me of the Jim Chanos interview. I don't know if you saw that in conversation with Mike Green uh, that yeah. came out earlier in the week. He had some very interesting things to say about how he thinks about uh, being short within the context of uh, overall portfolio. How are you thinking about this position? Because you started out saying, you know, this is a small position. Uh, how do you think about being short as a a, a percentage or a, a portion of your portfolio? I think I've been short Tesla 15 times uh, over the last four years. And I've made money 11 out of 15 times. The last go, I lost a lot. And I lost more than I, I wanted to. And it was really poor risk management. But despite all that, uh, I I size my positions appropriately. I'm either 1% uh, if I'm a starter position. Uh, there's times where I can take it up to 5%. And uh, there's sometimes where I'll take it to 10%. That's rare. Uh, and the way I look at it is if I'm, you know, if I have a sized right position and I know it's one of these stocks that can go against me really quick with, you know, if somebody goes out, you know, the million call uh, calls were bought today in Tesla, jamming the stock up. I know that can happen. So I'll keep it sized right. And, you know, when it went down, uh, it was basically cut in half uh, a year ago or year and a half ago, I think. And I absolutely crushed it then. And I will say that was like just, you know, fabulous. But the last time I did it, I lost money. And now I'm short at 450. It's going against me. I'm not necessarily that worried because I know this catalyst going into the S&P is a one-time event. And it doesn't mean that it's going to be, you know, something that you're going to have another $20 billion of demand for the stock. And one other thing, I look at short interest religiously. Tesla's short interest is so low right now. There are no shorts in this stock. It's a gamma squeeze. It's not a short squeeze. There, the days to cover in Tesla is at 0.62 days to cover. That is so low. And I think it's just you have all these these shorts that have just said, okay, you know what? Pack my bag. I'm out. You win, Longs. Congratulations. We'll play it another day. Now, when the stock starts to roll over, you'll have those shorts come back. It's never going to be just one straight down move. It'll be just a chop fest all the way down to where it builds into its true valuation. And I think it's trading at about a thousand times earnings right now with those emissions credits. So mission credits go away next year. Uh, the demand with more competition is going to be tough. So I think it's, you know, you know, we'll, we'll have our time. We know when to strike and there'll be, there'll be the right day. And, you know, certainly I think it's just, it's, it's a very tough stock. The hardest short I've ever, ever seen. And I know everybody else watching will say, yeah, it's the hardest short because it doesn't freaking work. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you know, uh, Tommy, uh, at the uh, since we're running out of time, I, I want to ask you a few other questions here because on Twitter you uh, you ask people what we should talk about, and there are a few things that I think are interesting. I was looking at the chart of DXY earlier today, and you, mm -hmm. um, the dollar against the euro, and it looks to me like the dollar's breaking down. The levels that we see are the lowest that we've seen since the June timeframe. It's almost to the level that it was in the last breakdown that we've had. What do you think is going on with the US dollar, uh, and how does that reflect in, in terms of your trading patterns? Okay, this is actually very timely. Um, thank you for bringing this up. Uh, the DXY and the Bloomberg uh, U.S. dollar index, which is what the, what I look at, and it's it's a blend of currencies with the dollar. It's on day 12 of 13 with a downside DeMarc sequential buy countdown, and to me, that that is a exhaustion signal. And when you get that, you can basically look at it and say, okay, here's an opportunity based on this indicator that I can take a contrary position and, and have a stop underneath it if I'm wrong. Uh, but the odds are that we most likely will see a turn in the US dollar. And I think the dollar will go up if the S&P and other markets uh, start to weaken. I think that'll be uh, something that, that we can watch um, happen. So I'm actually, uh, I'm long a little bit um, uh, dollar euro, and I think that that could turn. And another thing is, look at the 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 way the yen has acted. Uh, it continues mm. to strengthen, and right. it's it's in a really pronounced trend. So I thought that I thought we could see the the yen weaken uh, about a week and a half ago, and it it did for a few days, and then it just right back into the trend. So it's, that's something I'm watching as well, because I think that um, you've had a lot of people talk about the 25-year breakout in the Nikkei. Now, Raul used to send on GMI way back a chart of the Nikkei and the U.S. 10-year yield. And he said, look, this is correlated. So when you had yields going down, the Nikkei was going down. And it's not always a perfect correlation, but... Mm -hmm. I think you saw yields drop yesterday and the the Nikkei dropped a, a percent yesterday as well. So keep an eye on that. I think it's just an interesting correlation that I learned from Raul, I think, well over 10 years ago uh, when he was writing GMI and uh, something to watch. I should uh, ping him on that one. Excellent. Well, uh, Tommy, it has been a pleasure talking to you. I hope that you have a good night with uh, yes, thank the you. family. And, thank you. Uh, you know, uh, let, let's talk again about testing yeah. and do cool. Great to see you. Thanks so much. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.